Thank you so much for joining us today. We would love to know how this ministry is touching your life. Please take a moment and visit NBCOcala.com stories to tell us your story. Also, if you'd like to help support the ministry financially, you can give online or through our mobile giving app. Thanks again for joining us, and we hope you enjoy today's message. I, uh, with this uh, few minutes that we have tonight, I've been praying, and, and of course I was recalling how just in the last few months, there were different times pastor was teaching on faith, and he was teaching on the importance of words. And so as I prayed for tonight, I, I felt impressed that I would just uh, share a couple parts of my testimony, Kathleen's and mine, and work the word into it. Now, everybody in here has a story of how we've come to know the Lord. And uh, so I'm just going to share a little bit of mine, and it may, uh, you may be able to identify with it, and you may maybe not, but I just feel confident there's some people in here tonight that probably can identify with what uh, I went through and how the Lord managed to bring me into the kingdom of God to be a child of his. Hallelujah. So real briefly, as far as my background goes, we'll just make that real short and condensed. Uh, I was a farm boy from North Dakota. And, of course, there's not many people in North Dakota. So we were eight miles south of uh, a town called Wishick, eight miles south. We, where I lived, they called it the Iron Curtain Country because we were the Germans from Russia. So uh, one of the main, our main diets was beer. But at any rate, uh, I was raised in a home where, uh, you know, we never shared feelings. I asked my dad one time, I said, where did I come from? And he said, the Sergio Robot catalog. <laughs> Now, being raised on a farm, you kind of put two and two together after a while. You kind of figure out how this all works. But there was no sharing of, it was just uh, one of those homes. Uh, the only time anything was uh, shared was if there was something to criticize us for. And so I ended up being real rebellious. We belonged to a, a, a certain denomination. We went to church unless there was something else to do. We never prayed at home, never read the Bible at home, or anything, never had any Bible stories read to me, so I knew nothing. And so I ended up being, like I said, real rebellious. And, of course, by the time I got out of high school, I was a full-blown alcoholic, alcoholism, alcohol, and drugs. And a lot of, uh, and everywhere I went with my driving, <laughs> it was always the pedal to the floor. And uh, so they could hear me coming eight miles south already as I headed for town with my straight pipes, <laughs> and uh, I was the only one that was ever arrested for ice skating. Uh, in this little town of 1200, you know, in the wintertime we have the big ice skating rink, they fill it with water and everything freezes over, it gets cold up there. But I happened to decide that one day I was going to ice skate with the rest of them with my car, and that went over, didn't go over very big at all with anybody. And so everywhere I went, either, you know, wrecked a few cars, rolled them over on their side, set them back up again and take off. And uh, finally one day in uh, February of 1964, alcoholism and drugs, and of course, I always drove pedal to the floor. I mean, can you imagine one day, I'm, you know, we got ice in December, about an inch thick on the highway, and we didn't put any sand on them up there in North Dakota. You just learned to drive on it. So I'm heading for Bismarck, which is 100 miles away from my hometown, and I come over the hill, cruising, pedal to the floor. <laughs> but isn't it something? As soon as you get over the crest of the hill, I have to pass the highway patrol. <laughs> Can't put on the brakes. It's all ice. 
He just looks over at me and just shakes his head, puts on the light, and a couple, about a mile later, we're able to both slow down to where we could keep the car on the road. So that was kind of the way it went. But one day, February 64, alcohol, drugs, pedal to the floor, uh, a concrete bridge abutment got in my way. And, of course, the car went to pieces. So they gave me up for dead that day. They called all the family together that night. And wouldn't you know it, the only doctor in town, 1,200 people, he's an alcoholic. They had to get him out of bed. He was hungover. And, of course, he didn't do too bad. You know, he had to put a lot of stuff back together and stitched me up. You can't really see it too bad. But then they called the family together. But the next morning, I'm still alive. So my dad uh, said he wanted to transfer me to the capital city 100 miles away. Doctor says, you move him, he'll die. My father said, what have I got to lose? Now, in those years, they didn't have ambulances in the little towns. So he had to hire the undertaker. They used the hearse. They would use the hearse as an ambulance. And I understand he made pretty good time. He put a little red light on top, and away he went. And uh, got to the hospital, and, and uh, I, reg I, I regained... I, of course, I don't remember any of these things. Don't remember hitting the bridge. And, uh, but on, on Sunday, but then on Thursday, I regained consciousness in this hospital in Bismarck, North Dakota. Well, once I regained consciousness, uh, yeah, well, it was quite a mess. But at any rate, I saw this nurse come through the door. And I heard, oh, my goodness, we don't have girls that look that good in my hometown. <laughs> I figured... I'll never have a chance with this one. <laughs> of course, I can't talk. My jaws were wired shut for two months because it was, like, they told me they're completely broken in two places and back braces, all that stuff, wheelchair. So, and of course, they would not let me see my face. I found out later. They had taken the mirrors and all went out of there. Had some friends visit me, and they passed out when they saw me, so I must have looked like Frankenstein. But at any rate, I... Uh, you know, I showed her a picture of myself, and I says, you know this man? She says, no, he knows you. <laughs> of course, that was me. But I was transferred to another hospital after a month, back to my hometown for another month in the hospital, total of two months in the hospital. I wrote a letter to that nurse, and you know, she answered the letter. And so after I got out of the hospital, I had a hitchhiker ride with Uncle Leopold to Bismarck because my car's in pieces. <laughs> and... Uh, had my first date with this nurse. Of course, I'm 21, she's 21. Uh, first date in April, we married in June, 27th. Both sides of the family tried to talk us out of it, but we're 21, who's gonna stop us from getting married? <laughs> well, before I got out of the first month of the hospital, I already was back on the booze. And I, for two months, I just, what I could get through a straw was all I could eat, so my buddies started smuggling the booze into the hospital the third week of the hospital. So now I get married and end up with two children for the next several years. This is 64. And finally, in 1967, can you, you know, pedal to the floor for everything, including alcohol and drugs. And can you believe it? At age 24, I was hospitalized for alcoholism and drug addiction. It's been nine weeks in the hospital. New Year's Day, 68, I was released. And I spent the next four and a half years in AA. I'd lived the program. It was my, I mean, we practiced the 12 steps. There was two other couples that hooked up with Kathleen and I, and we just ate AA, slept AA. I mean, it, and I'll tell you one thing, the doctors and AA kept me alive. 
until somebody finally introduced me to Jesus. Four and a half years of sobriety. I drank my way out of college. I went back. I graduated from college with my bachelor's degree. I was an officer in the military. I was the company commander of the North Dakota National Guard, uh, the, the company there in Minot, the uh, engineer company. And our marriage, we were still married. Man, we were still married. <laughs> and with all the, the life that we were living. And, and after, it looked like we, had, we were successful. Four and a half years of sobriety. I never fell off the wagon. But now I'm getting thirsty. And thinking, what's the use? Just sheer willpower. You know, to stay sober. Those thoughts hit me on Thursday. Friday, our neighbors knock on the door and invite us to their home for a Bible study the following Tuesday. I don't know why I went, because I knew those dumb church people didn't know any more about God than we did. We, we knew more about God in AA than they did, I felt. That was pretty, pretty arrogant. But I went. My wife and I went. Twelve other neighbors showed up. So 14 of us showed up in the neighbor's home. Well, I was going to, you know, give them a hard time, but I never, man, I never said anything. As I look back now... They were Baptist, but they were born again, and the presence of God was in that home. That's the only thing I can think of. So I listened. And when they, and they, this, they were nervous because they'd never had a Bible study before. Their pastor told them, don't take it for granted. Your neighbors are born again. And he gave them all the uh, Campus Crusade material uh, to use. And their first Bible study was just the track for spiritual laws. Most of you have probably seen it. Well, that was their Bible study. So at the end of the going through the track, one by one, they came around and said, would you like to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior? And uh, the first words that came out of my mouth was, you'd have to be a fool not to receive this gift. And so they led all of us through the same prayer. And then they came around again and said, did you pray? And I said, yeah. Well, where is Jesus? I said, I don't know. <laughs> I'm not familiar with all this Christian lingo. <laughs> so they had to go through the whole thing again. And it's by faith. Well, I like to get excited. But it just didn't happen. So by faith, okay, he's here. That's Tuesday night. Thursday morning, I come out of the back bedroom two days later. And my wife greets me <laughs> when I enter the kitchen. And she said, Jim, you're not cussing anymore. That's how bad it was. And when she said that, now I'm 29 years old, I'm an adult. <laughs> and something stirred inside of me. And I knew, Jesus got in there. How he got in there, I don't know, but he's in there. <laughs> and I just knew that I'd never, ever take his name in vain again. And I'll tell you, from that point on, Kathleen and I, of course, asked the Lord into our heart the same night. And we'd open our Bible as like Jesus was talking to us. And you know, the word is alive. The Word was made flesh, John 1, 14, and that's the way it's been ever since. Now, we've had a lot of challenges through the years, like everybody. I mean, the devil's real, too. But then there were some things that uh, happened that helped me. I did not, uh, you know, I had, I had a real problem with religion. And, of course, found out later that Satan's the author of religion, and he uses religion to keep people from God or to uh, uh, pull them away from God. And Christianity, I began to realize, I happened to notice Ephesians 3, 14 and 15, it talks about the father and his family. And so I began to realize that Christianity is a family. 
It's God and his children. Pastor talked about us being a child of God. Now there, and of course, I, then what happened to me, I ended up then in the ministry shortly after that, and I found myself in Germany preparing for uh, some things I had to teach, and I was thinking about this. And, and, and so I looked back there in Genesis, and of course, God crea took, created man, and then Eve came out of Adam's side. Well, as you go back there in Genesis chapter 2, God then presented Eve to Adam. And in the King James Bible, you know, he says something like, well, now she's bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. And I fear, what a jerk. <laughs> <laughs> and I found one translation that really I felt fit better. God presented Eve to Adam, and, Eve, and Adam said, wow. <laughs> now, that was better. That was, I mean, the most beautiful woman that existed at that time, the only one. And, and then what happened, I, uh, I saw, and it wasn't a vision, I don't believe, it was just what in my mind. At that point, Eve came out of Adam's side, of course, to walk alongside of Adam under the safety and protection of his arm, walking together. And then I saw, in my mind, I guess it was, but I saw it so clearly, it was John chapter uh, 19, and where the centurion soldier, you know, remember he's on the cross now, and you're familiar with that. And then he had given up the spirit. And the centurion soldier reached up and pierced his side, and blood and water came out of his side. And what I saw was the church, you and I as born-again believers, came out of the side of Jesus, who is our bridegroom. His bride came out of his side because he purchased us with his shed blood. And so we walk alongside of him under the safety and protection of his arm. Now, there was one other thing. You know, I, I'm, I'm just shortening up a lot of things, obviously. <laughs> but there was something spiritually <clears throat> that I was introduced to. And I thank God that I ended up at Rama in 1974 and under the ministry of Kenneth Hagin. And he was my mentor. And uh, there was just some things, you know, I mean, he had a lot of wisdom. And then one thing he said, and that really helped me a lot, was he said, if you don't clearly understand spirit, soul, and body, you're never going to understand the gospel. You're never going to understand the scriptures. And, of course, we know in 1 Thessalonians 5.23, it says, I pray, God, that your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless. So I'm a spirit, and I have a soul, and I live in a physical body. And if you don't understand that... That there's really, we're, you and I are walking in two worlds. We're living in this physical body so that we can operate in this physical dimension. But we are spirits created in God's own image and likeness. Now in 2 Corinthians 4.18, it tells us that the things of this physical world are temporary. But the things of the spiritual realm are eternal. In other words, they never cease to exist. Alright, so angels are spirits. About one-third of them rebelled against God and were kicked out of heaven. But they live for eternity. They're demons, evil spirits is what we call them. But they'll live for eternity in the lake of fire. And then, of course, there, when you talk about people, 1 John 3.10 talks about the children of the devil and the children of God. So as human spirits, there's only two families of human spirits. There are those who belong to Satan 
and there are those who belong to God. Those who are dead spiritually belong to Satan, and those who are alive spiritually are part of God's family. Amen. All right? Now, how do we become alive? Well, Jesus, it was mentioned earlier up here in the platform in the, in the worship, uh, just a comment made about how Jesus, with his shed blood, of course, made it possible for us to be children of God. Well, God didn't sin. Man sinned. And the penalty for sin is death, Romans 6.23, spiritual death. That's the penalty for sin. Separation from God, like it says in Isaiah 59 and 2. Your iniquities have made a separation between you and God. Your sins have hidden his face from you, and he will not hear you. So sin separates us from God. So when Adam sinned in the Garden of Eden... Like it says, in, uh, he then died spiritually. Because remember, his, he was tested. We're all going to be tested. We have a free will. And God said to Adam in Genesis 2.16, he commanded the man, saying, Of all the trees of the garden you may eat, but of the tree of the knowledge and good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall die. Well, we found out he did, and he was separated from God. You can see that in Genesis 3 in the garden. He's hiding from God. And then Romans 5 and 12 says, just as through one man sin entered the world and death through sin, thus, all, thus death spread to all men because all sinned. So when I was born into this world, I was dead spiritually. And of course, there's death in my physical body. But when Kathleen and I asked Jesus to come into our heart, in, in, in April of 1972, Jesus, of course, God took on the form of a human being, and he would be our sinless substitute. God couldn't pay the death penalty for us as God. That would have been illegal. So he announced the incarnation in Genesis 3.15 when he said, the seed of the woman shall bruise your head. He was talking to the devil. And what he was saying is, I'm going to take on the form of a human being, literally, in every respect, Hebrews 2.17, the Amplified Bible tells us, and I'm going to pay the death penalty for man so that I can have my family. And Acts 20.28 20, tells us that God purchased the church with his own blood. And he had ordained before the beginning of time, we see in Titus 1 and 2, for example, that it was only through the shed blood of a innocent, substitutionary, innocent sacrifice was the only way that we could be reconciled back to God. So he purchased the church with his own blood. Now in Leviticus 17, 11, it says, the life of the flesh is in the blood. And I've given it to you upon the altar to make atonement for your souls, for it's the blood that makes atonement for the soul. Well, at the altar of the cross... God's blood was shed. Remember, Acts 20, 28, God purchased the church with his own blood. The life of God, the life of the creator of this universe is in that blood. It paid the death penalty for our sins. It paid the ransom price. We were slaves to Satan, slaves to sin, slaves to do what's wrong. And it says in 1 Timothy 2, 5, there's, there's one God and one mediator between God and man the man Christ Jesus who gave his life as a ransom for many. God paid the death penalty for us so that we could be born again, regenerated. Jesus said to Nicodemus, assuredly I say unto you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of heaven. So when Kathleen and I asked Jesus to come into our heart 
and not with our mind. With our heart, we asked him. <laughs> we believed what we heard. Then the Holy Spirit took us, like it says in Colossians 1.13, he's taken us from the power of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his son of love. As what? Born again, regenerated human spirits, like it says in Ephesians 2.1, you who made alive, who were dead in your trespasses and sins. Praise the Lord. So now we're alive, taken from the family of darkness, transferred in the kingdom of his son of love, and now we are alive spiritually. We're no longer dead spiritually. We've switched families. But now we still are, have these physical bodies that we're living in. And guess what? There's death in these bodies. They're dying. That's just the way it is. <laughs> I never thought I'd, I'd ever... Well, never. Let's forget about that. All right. So, <laughs> All right. So now here's the other thing now. We, we, you know, we talk about words, the importance of words, as pastor is saying. In Proverbs 18, 21, it says that life and death is in the power of the tongue. Life and death. There's words that bring life, and there's words that bring death. Either there's truth or lies are in the part of the tongue. Either you're speaking in line with God's word, or you're speaking lies. Which is it going to be? Now, it's going to be one or the other, truth or lies. Either what Satan wants you to say, or what God wants you to say. That's all there is. And, and so, which one are you going to say? You know, there's nothing in between. Either you're pregnant or you're not. Either you're speaking the truth or you're speaking lies. And so it doesn't make any difference. There's only two languages in the spiritual realm. Two languages, that's it. Truth or lies. So I don't care if you speak German, French, English, and all that stuff. That's got nothing to do with it. In the spiritual realm, either you're speaking the truth or you're speaking lies. And so now what God wants us to do in Hebrews 3 and 1, he says, Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of your confession, Christ Jesus. That word confession literally means to say the same thing as or to agree with God. So we are, and every day, we are to be careful what we say with our mouths. Because lies will bring destruction and truth will bring healing and restoration. For example... You know, if you say, I love you, you know, that minister's life, doesn't that feel good? I love you. I hate you. <laughs> oh, this is different, see? <laughs> Death, life, right? Now, when it comes to uh, relationships, and you think about marriage, for example, when my wife found out in the treatment center the double life that I was living, <sighs> we'd come to a place where, will she ever, ever trust me again? Well, finally, you know, some years later, we get born again. But then eight years after we're Christians, and I'm traveling full-time in the ministry all over the world, I'm leaving for the state of Montana that particular day, and I'm saying goodbye to her. I'd be a month, of uh, four months of the year overseas, one month at a time, and then three weeks of the month, I'd travel to the States, coast to coast, and Canada. And I'm leaving for another three-week run. And... Uh, she said, we're kissing each other goodbye, and we're standing at the door. And then just out of the blue, she said, Jim, if I didn't trust you, I wouldn't let you travel all over the world alone. Man, I felt like a man. This woman trusts me. But you know, see, you get into trouble, and then I've heard, you know, like men, well, God's forgiven me. How come you can't forgive me? Well, I forgive you. 
but I don't trust you. See, there's a difference. Faith or trust comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, and then you have the corresponding actions. Well, believe it or not, when I was in the treatment center, I'm not even a Christian, I had a vision. You know, we make all these trips back and forth 114 miles, away, uh, 114 miles one way to the treatment center because my wife was taught that if Jim gets into stinky thinking, you throw him in the car and both of you come down for outpatient counseling. So I don't know how many trips we made. I'd hear my wife say, stinky thinking, here we go, down to the treatment center. <laughs> and this one day we're going down there, I says, you know, they're going to find out you're the problem, not me. <laughs> and... Uh, so here we go, and they get us to the group, and of course they put me in a chair, and then they, put a, they sit in a circle around me, and this is not a Christian place, of course, and they just call you all kinds of stuff to try to get you angry, because what do they want to try to do? Because if you lose it, you'll, you'll get angry, and guess what? What's in your heart will come out. That's what they were looking for, because I never could share from in here. Well, in this particular day, I heard them screaming and shouting, and then all of a sudden, it's like I left the room. I'm sitting there, but all this whole, this whole room turned into, I saw this, I was like a city, like New York City, I suppose. I saw this old man laying in the gutter in his own vomit. And then all of a sudden, I guess now I would say the Lord gave me the interpretation, even though I didn't know the Lord, I wasn't born again. He said, I realized then that I had to be responsible for my own actions. I couldn't continually blame everybody else. I'm an alcoholic because my parents never told me they loved me. I'm an alcoholic because the American Medical Association says I'm an incurable disease. Once an alcoholic, always an alcoholic, blah, 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 blah. I had to stop blaming everybody else. And so when it come to Kathy and her trusting me, I began to realize it's not her fault. I had to accept the responsibility for the mess that I got into. So then I began to speak words of life to my marriage when I was praying. I said, Lord, I got the best wife in the world. Man, this woman is something else. She meets my needs like nobody else can. We've got a perfect marriage. And then I would have corresponding actions. I would, I would do what a husband is supposed to do. You know, take care of your wife, protect her, meet her needs. I did that for eight years as a Christian. And then one day, I trust you. Isn't that awesome? Well, anyway, I'm excited. I don't care about you, but anyway... <laughs> So you see the importance of words, just in relationships. You know, even as a businessman, you lie to your customers, lies will destroy a relationship. It can destroy businesses, not just marriages. We must learn to speak truth. And so then finally, you know, as a human spirit, my physical body needs food. But we need to feed on God's word daily if we're going to be strong spiritually and be able to do what God says, like the Apostle Paul even in 1 Corinthians 9.27, I bring my body under subjection lest I become disqualified. We have death in this body. And it has a lot, it has unholy desires and lusts like the world has. There's death in this world. And we need to present our bodies a living sacrifice, Romans 12, 1, just like Jesus. He had the same flesh that you and I have, Romans 12, uh, Romans 8, 3, rather, and, and, first, uh, and Hebrews 2, 14. He had the same sinful flesh that you and I have. Now, spiritually, he was sinless, but he had the same flesh you and I had, and that's why he was sorely tempted in all points, even as we are. He's walked in our shoes. And we need to, he says, present your body a living sacrifice. And what we need to do is make sure that we take our bodies and do God's will. Make them do what the scripture says do. 
But you can't do that if you're not feeding on the word and becoming strong spiritually. A lot of Christians, their flesh is stronger than they are. And it should be the other way around. Well, I've packed a lot in a few minutes. But anyway, those are some of the things that have really helped me. And I just uh, have to believe that there's somebody out here that can identify with that. If he can use me, he can use you. Amen. And I mean, and of course, I, I, still, <clears throat> I still put the pedal to the floor, but it's for Jesus now. <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> Glory to God. So, what I want to say to you in parting, and just, uh, uh, it's most important that if you've never asked Jesus into your heart, it's so simple. We talked about words and believing with your heart, We're in, most of you are familiar with it, but just in case there's somebody here tonight, another Jim Caseman sitting out there checking it out to see what this is all about, like I did in that Bible study. Remember in Romans 10, 8, and 9 and 10, what does it say? The word is near you, even in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. That if you'll confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, believe in your heart that he's raised from the dead, then you'll be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. And if you really believe that God paid the death penalty for your sins, he sent his son, paid the death penalty for our sins, and he's been raised from the dead, if you really believe that, and then all you say is, Jesus, come into my heart, be my Lord, I believe that you paid the death penalty for my sins so that I become a child of yours. Thank you that you shed your blood and did that. Just keep it that simple, okay? Can you do that? <laughs> I'm going to leave it right there at that. Thank you for listening to this week's message from Meadowbrook Church. We hope you stay connected by following us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at NBC Ocala.